Welcome to the Mission North Shore podcast. If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at the Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. And uh, as you know, for the last, today is the fourth week that we've been talking about Moses. Different aspects, and we kind of, Brandon and I kind of picked the stories that we liked. And this week I picked this, which we'll be looking at the Ten Commandments. And uh, the other text is in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. It says about Jesus that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It was realized through Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to talk about today. The Ten Commandments and the law, according to the Bible, only it's not only limited to the Ten Commandments, but the Ten Commandments are probably the centerpiece of the law. And as I was considering this week, I was thinking about the different laws that we have. Why is it so easy to make laws? And why is it so easy to break them? And uh, I'm not going to make any point any fingers here, but just thinking about myself. Some laws I know that we like, and some laws we don't like. And usually the ones that apply to us are the ones that we don't like, and the ones that apply to other people is the ones that we like. And in my consideration, I was thinking about what if there were no stoplights? Now, I don't especially like the stoplights, especially the one over there by Foodland. When I'm coming this way and there's uh, someone trying to cross the road and the light stops all the traffic and I have to wait. But if you think about it, if you're coming from Pupukea, and you're trying to get on that road, then you're happy for the stoplight because it stops all the cars going across and nobody would let you in probably anyhow and you would be up there all day, right, and getting frustrated. What if there was no laws and there's some unwritten ones as I was considering, and I usually kind of air out my little pet things. What if there was no, the, the unwritten laws, you know when you're in, you ever been like in the line at Foodland and somebody cuts in line? Anybody had it or Costco or at the airport especially? Kind of like my little pet in that little security line. Somebody kind of just comes up and you're like, I'm, I'm not invisible. Or maybe they're from some other country. And then they kind of like, maybe they're, that's how they do it over there. You know, it's just like a free-for-all. And... Uh, the unwritten ones, and you go like, man, those guys, they didn't get the paper. You know, it's like, you're, everybody knows, right? First, first, second, third, you know, that's how it is. You, you, you know, but not everybody does that. There's some people that like to break the laws. That that's their thing. Some people are rebellious, and, and in their mind, the rules are meant to be broken. Maybe they don't even want to do them. They just like breaking them. It isn't something that they want to do. Maybe you're, you know, kind of like me. When I grew up, man, there was all kinds of 
laws in my household. And now I don't, if there's a sign that says no parking, I never park there. I don't care if there are 40 cars parked over there. I am not. Winter's going to go, just park here. Look, everybody's parking. And I'm one of those guys. Maybe you're like that. It's like the sign says no parking. Okay, and I'm not a stickler with everything, but I am a stickler with some of those things. And my motivation isn't that I like to follow the... My motivation is fear. I don't want to get in trouble. And, I mean, it goes to no... And it gets her pretty frustrated. Um, Maybe you're into control and the laws are there to control others. That you're the type of person that likes to point it out. Right? Hey, don't park there. Right? You're You're the little whatever, the parking police or the some sort of person that always brings it up and you kind of get off on it. Um, I have a good story that I want to read here that kind of shows us as humans in connection with laws. And he says in this book that in a Connecticut city, 53 residents of a certain neighborhood signed a petition to stop reckless driving on their streets. The police set a watch. A few nights later, five violators were caught. All five had signed a petition. Funny, but it makes a lot of sense. Is that we want the laws, we can see like, hey, that's, yeah, that's good, but we don't want to follow them. The laws reveal so much about us inwardly and our hearts that are sinful. That if anybody's going to break the rules, it's me. Right? It's okay. Other people have to follow them, the speed limit, all of those things, but I'm the except, well, I need to get there. But I'm in a hurry. So it's okay for me. And that's the way that we kind of deal with it. Today we're going to be looking, and if you'll turn there to... uh, um, in fact, I won't even read it, but I'll tell you where it is, and you can turn it well. Let's read it. Exodus chapter 20. Moses and the children of Israel are in the desert of Sinai. We talked last week. And Moses is going to go up the mountain, and on top of the mountain, right, we've seen the movie that Moses goes up there, and what does he do? He gets the Ten Commandments from God. And these commandments are what? They're different rules or, you know, ordinances from God for the people of Israel. And, interesting enough, which we'll talk about that in a minute, and it's there, but I'm going to read here because I looked, on my computer, and uh, I looked up Wikipedia, what it says about the Ten Commandments. And uh, Wikipedia obviously is not a Christian organization. But it says here, the Ten Commandments are a set of commandments which the Bible describes as being given to the Israelites by God at biblical Mount Sinai. They include instructions on the worship of God to honor parents, Keep the Sabbath, 
as well as prohibitions against idolatry, blasphemy, murder, adultery, theft, dishonesty, and coveting. Different religious groups follow different traditions for interpreting and numbering them. Now, interesting that a non-Christian um, organization has such a pretty accurate view on the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are something that kind of crosses all the lines. That you don't have to be a Christian to agree with most of them. And most people do agree with most of them. Maybe the beginning ones about uh, honoring God. You know, which they might do. But it's a cool thing and God is handing it over to Moses who hands it over to the people. The purpose. The children of Israel are moving out of bondage. If you know the story in the beginning in Exodus, it's the Exodus out of Egypt. That they were in bondage for 400 years. And generations of them grew up in that bondage. And God delivered them. And now they're moving across the Sinai Peninsula heading towards the promised land that God promised them, the land of promise for them. And part of what's happening here is God is making them a nation that's going to be under Him, a theocracy. God is in charge and they're under Him. Now part of these you know, rules, ordinances that He's giving them, and they go beyond, the law goes beyond just the Ten Commandments. Even though the Ten Commandments, you know, are said to be the centerpiece of this whole thing. A lot of them have to do with other kind of details of uh, civic and social law. Um, also, the, they're going to, you know, kind of instructions for building a tabernacle because the tabernacle was going to be in the middle of all of the tribes. Also for the priesthood because the priesthood was in charge of it. Also sacrifices, which we'll be talking about. The sin sacrifices, as we will see in a moment, the purpose for them. So all of these things, important, and God hands down these commandments and the other ones to help guide them and to lead them. Now on all the way to the Gospels. And people are still following those things even up to now. But in the Gospels, Jesus sums up all of those ten commandments. If you remember, that the, somebody asked him, well, what's the two greatest commandments? Or what's the greatest commandment? He said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. And the second one, he said, is like it to love your neighbor and yourself. All of the law and all of the commandments kind of like boil down to these two, Jesus said. In the Gospels, Jesus goes even a little further with the Ten Commandments. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 27, you know, along with some other ones, but this is just a couple examples. 
Jesus says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit murder. Okay, one of the Ten Commandments. But I say to you, whoever is angry with your brother shall be guilty before the court. And also in verse 27 there, he says, You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what does Jesus do? He takes those commandments and kind of like fine-tunes them. Right? And it'd be easy, as they were saying, right, that we might say, well, look, I've never murdered anyone. And I can promise you that I've never murdered anyone. Physically. But according to what Jesus said, I have been angry with people. Right? You see how what he did was he kind of like kicked it up a notch. The Ten Commandments. And I've never committed adultery, but I might have looked at a woman the wrong way. Or a guy, right? Honestly. So he's saying here to them and to us, okay, look, it's even a deeper issue It's a hard issue. And some of those, maybe we can follow. If you remember in the Gospels, that there was a story of the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. And he said, yeah, I know them and I follow them. I followed them from when I was a kid. And Jesus tells him, okay, one thing you lack then. Give all your stuff away and come and follow me. And the Bible says that that young guy left sad. Why? Because he had a lot of stuff. He was rich. And he didn't want to give it away. Now consider that one of the Ten Commandments says to not have any idols before me. And I think that his riches were an idol. Enough so that he couldn't do it and he left and didn't follow Jesus. Even though he was saying that, yeah, I follow all of them. And it's easy for any one of us, it's easy for everyone to say, yeah, well, I've never murdered anyone. I follow. Do we do any better? Not necessarily. Galatians chapter 3, verses 21 to 24 says, But Scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before this faith, that's faith in Christ, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed so that the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. And in the New American, that was the uh, New International Version, sorry. In the New American Standard, it says that the law was our tutor to lead us to Christ. 
So the law is something that shows us what we do wrong. Why it's so easy. I'll tell you this story. When I was a kid and I grew up in, I was born and raised in Ever Beach. And my parents live as they do today. They live right on the beach, right on the ocean. The water is probably about, I'm guessing, on a good day, might be 10 or 12 feet from their front wall. And that's how I grew up. And somewhere around 10, I learned how to surf. And it was one of those things where when I started surfing, everything else went down the tubes. And there was only one goal in life, and that was it. And being so close, and what ended up happening, and my mom is a, um, I don't know how you would, probably like a lot of moms, they're very cautious. My mom doesn't surf. And she always wanted me to stay right in front of the house where she could see me. Even though if I got in trouble, she probably couldn't help me in any way. But she could yell at me from the front yard. But the big spot was actually down the beach, if you can imagine it. You know, it'd be like, be like uh, surfing uh, rubber duckies in, in Waimea just around the corner. But your mom won't let you go down there. So, and it was maybe a couple hundred yards down, and this was the spot where all the, the older guys went. But I couldn't go. She wouldn't let me go. Don't go down there. But what I would do was I would catch a wave and then go right towards this spot and then paddle straight out and then catch another wave and go right. Probably about three or four waves I would be down there by them. And uh, another thing was that they couldn't figure out how to call me in. And uh, I don't know if any of you surf, but I'll tell you, if you like to go surfing, coming in is not on the schedule. So what they did was they made this about a 10-foot bamboo pole, and they put an orange flag on it. And what they would do would be put it when it was time for me to come in, which, you know, didn't have necessarily anything to do with um, us having anything to do. When my mom decided that she had had enough of me surfing, that I had to come in. They would put this flag up, and that meant that I was supposed to come home. Now, many days... I couldn't see that flag. Now, you know what I'm talking about. That I, you know what? When I got home, it would be the same story that I didn't see it. I couldn't see the flag, but, but honestly, I saw the flag and I didn't want to come in. And you know how it is. Even after, it's like, well, you're going to get it, so I'm just going to stay out. I'm going to get it anyway. I'm just not going to go in for a while, you know. And you know what? That's our heart. That's what he's talking about here. That there's that thing in our heart that it's hard for us. And for some reason, you know, I didn't mean 
anything mean about it. But there was this thing that it was hard for me to understand. It was hard for me to uh, follow the rules. And even though those rules are there, that we might find it difficult to have the power. This guy Andrew Murray in one of my commentaries said, The law points the way, but gives no strength to walk in it. The law demands, but makes no provision for, more, for those demands to be met. The law burdens and condemns and slays. It can awaken desire, but not satisfy it. It can rouse to effort, but not secure success. It can appeal to motives, but gives no inward power beyond what man himself has. And so, warring against sin, it became an ally in giving the sinner over to hopeless condemnation. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20 in the New International Version, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and all the world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight, observing the law, rather though the law has become, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So maybe we're not aware of it. Now I'm telling you, man, I'm aware of it. That, you know what, all those days that I looked at that flag and I went, I'm not going home. I'm going to stay out and I'll just make up some story, you know, when I get home. And one thing leads to another. And sometimes we spend our whole life going down that same road. It says here, that sin is what? Identified. Now what if they had no... And there was a time in my surfing time that that flag didn't exist. And I wouldn't come home just the same. But it was a lot easier. Why? Because I could just say, well, I didn't know. Okay, so sin identified. I thought about it at first service... And I didn't, uh, I should have uh, done that. Telling those guys, why is it that if there's a sign that says, do not touch wet paint, that most of us would have the heavy desire to see if it was wet. Right? It's just like a given that it doesn't matter, Sunday school or in the, the adult church. Most people would gravitate and see if it was wet, because it said don't touch because it's wet. Well, let me just see if it's, it can't be wet, right? They must have painted it on Friday. Breaking God's law is sin. It was for them, and it is for us. Not meeting His standard, as He said in His Word. Not a surface level obedience, but with our hearts. Not just the level, uh, the letter of the commandments. As I was saying there about Jesus in Matthew. Not just for, well, I never murdered anyone. But. The solution to the problem brings us to our scripture in John chapter 1 verse 17. That 
The law came through Moses, but grace and truth were realized or came to be through Jesus Christ. In John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11, and I'm not going to read it, but I'll tell you about it. It's a story that's an excellent example of grace and truth. And this is the story of the woman caught in adultery. And if you remember in that story that the Pharisees brought a woman and threw her down at Jesus' feet and they told him that this woman was caught in adultery literally in the very act, they said. Now, how they figured that one out, I'm not sure. Even though I did think that maybe it was one of those guys. Um, they said, now in the law... Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? So they bring that woman and they say, look, we caught this lady, you know, in adultery. Moses says that she needs to be stoned. But Jesus, what do you say? Now they knew the law. The law is black and white. He's guilty. For sure. Right? He's guilty. Jesus, it says there in that story, that he kind of looks on the ground and he's fiddling around, riding in the dirt. And then he looks up, that story says, and he tells him, He who is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. So whoever... Of you guys who never sin, he tells him, you be the first one to throw the stone at her. And the story says that each one of them, one by one, drop their stones on the ground. Interesting, from the oldest to the youngest. And they all left. Why? Because they realized that each one of them, they couldn't reach what Jesus said, that They were not without sin. Then in that story, he looks back at the woman and he says, Where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she says, No. No one. And Jesus tells her, I do not condemn you either. From now on, sin no more. Grace. That's such an amazing picture of what we're talking about here today. That the law, under the law, she was guilty. But Jesus introduces a new, you know, kind of angle to it. Grace does not say your sin is okay. So he didn't say, oh, that's okay. Grace does not say your sin is okay, but gives us the way out through the power of Jesus to forgive and to restore. Andrew Murray in that commentary again says, what the law demands, grace supplies. What the law demands, grace supplies. Let's look at Romans chapter 8. 
verses 1 through 4. Romans 8, 1 through 4. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So it says here that if we are in Jesus that there is no condemnation for us because Jesus did it. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, it says also, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through... I'm just going to read verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. Grace is what? Unmerited favor. There's nothing that we have to do to merit it from God. That God gives it freely to us. In fact, that scripture says that He lavishes it on us. There's no works. Okay, Lord, I'm going to come to church every Sunday. I'm going to show up early. I'm even going to sing all the songs. Right, That we might make conditions, but with God's grace, there are no conditions. That we come just as we are. Just like that song says. Romans chapter 10. If you look forward there. 1 through 4, it says, Brethren, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. Speaking of the Jews. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law to everyone, or the completion Jesus says that He didn't come to you know, um, destroy the law, but to do what? To fulfill it. And our identification with Him has that fulfillment. It's like we fulfilled it because Jesus fulfilled it. And at Romans 10, verses 8 and 9 and 10, 8 to 10 says... But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus says, Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. 
For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. So, as we are under whatever laws that we make for ourselves, or even the laws of God, that that brings us to a knowledge of sin in our lives. It's a problem. But how do we get out from under that? And it says right here, is that Jesus fulfilled the requirements and we need to be in Him. And I might be, um, as they say, preaching to the choir. But you know what? If you haven't done that, if you never did what we read there, confess with your mouth Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you're not saved. You know about Him, but you don't know Him personally. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. Each one of us needs to be born again. Charles Spurgeon said that no one gets to heaven in a crowd. So you might be coming to church and that's awesome. But you know what? Each one of us needs to have a personal relationship with the Lord and each one of us needs to give our heart over to Him. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus saying of Himself that, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. That there is no other way. So that grace where we can be saved, and uh, I'm not sure where it is, I can't remember now, but it, it says there that in that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So in our sin, even when we weren't seeking Him, that He died for us. He made a way, and that way is available to each one of us. And maybe, you know, as I was thinking about this all week, I was going, man, you know what, even if we are saved, even if we have given our heart to the Lord, man, it's probably been a long time until I did and looked at all these scriptures where I went, you know what, I need to consider this all over again. Because I take it for granted. I might read all over that. You know, and I forget that day. You know, in our men's group, Jim, remember that? Jim, we were talking about that a couple times ago. You know, the day, like, man, I wasn't born a Christian. And I didn't live it out, but there was a time in my life, a definite time that I realized that it was God's voice. But you know what? Sometimes what happens is that grace, that seemed like that song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. That saved the wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Man, I can remember the day that that happened. But you know what, since then, sometimes what happens in our life is that grace, we take it for granted. It's there every day, all day. And man, I take full advantage of it. But you know what, maybe I don't appreciate it once I'm saved, as I used to when I first got saved, and I was still a little bit dirty. You know, now I'm the pastor, and I'm, maybe I'm going like, well, you know, yeah, I'm pretty good by now. But you know what? 
no less worth our considering. You know what? We're still sinners saved by grace on our best day. Andrew Murray says, Grace is not only the power that moves the heart of God in its compassion towards us when He acquits and accepts the sinner and makes him a child of God, but equally the power that moves the saint and provides them each moment the disposition and power they need to love Him and to do His will. So that grace that saved us is also the grace that carries us through for a lifetime. Jerry Bridges says of that, that your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to be reading verses 15 and 16. It says here, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. His grace, that same grace that saves us, is here for us presently and in the future. That grace that covers the past and makes everyone new is also the grace that's here for us today and onward. He says here, as Christians, that now, presently, that we can come with confidence to the throne of grace. And he's exhorting us to do that. Hopefully, today, that as we look at these things, that in our sinfulness, that we will see our need for Him. And even when we are right with Him, that daily we will kind of drink from that well, that grace that never runs out. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank You so much for that amazing grace. Lord, and we see ourselves before You. Lord, that we're so grateful for the grace that You extend to each and every one of us. Lord, continually without end, through all situations. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.